Hey there, how will Li Keqiang's death affect China's political landscape? And what does it mean for President Xi Jinping's leadership? I'm Aaron Young, today we'll find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. Hello and welcome. Great to be with you wherever you are watching. Coming up this hour, Chinese property firm Evergrande given a five-week deadline to get its affairs in order or face bankruptcy. Plus, with the war in Ukraine and now the Middle East continuing, will there be another GFC, but this time a global food crisis? The airport economist Tim Harcourt joins us later on in the show. First of our top story. Li Keqiang, the former Premier of China, recently sidelined by Xi Jinping, died last week at the age of 68. His death marks the end of a chapter in Chinese politics and raises questions about the country's leadership dynamics. Li Keqiang served as the Premier of China from 2013 to this year, during which time he faced the challenging task of managing the world's second largest economy while working under the formidable shadow of President Xi. Despite his efforts to steer China's economic policies and address social issues, Li often found himself overshadowed by Xi's assertive leadership. Today, the question on everyone's mind is this. What impact will his absence have on China's leadership dynamics, especially in the context of President Xi's continued consolidation of power? For more, we're joined by David Chang from China Insider, who's based in New York. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Let's talk about the key highlights of Li Keqiang's tenure as Premier of China. Aaron, you know, I want to give you a lot, but uh, to be honest, under Xi Jinping, nobody was really having the executive power to make decisions themselves. So for Li Keqiang, his uh, achievements was really based on three quotes. One, he said that 600 million people in China lived on 1,000 uh, 1, RMB a month. And he also said that people are doing while the heavens watching. And also he said that the Yellow River doesn't flow backwards and uh, reform and opening up will continue. But uh, as we know that, you know, he was essentially sidelined in both power and attention from Xi Jinping in the 10 years that he was premier of China. And this trend will continue with the current premier, Li Qiang, who is only really different by one character, to also continue to be sidelined, having no real authority and no real power. How did Li's uh, leadership style actually differ from President Xi Jinping? Right. So Li Keqiang was known as a quote unquote reformer. Uh, that's where everyone seems to create the image of him to be. But realistically, Li Keqiang was more of a, he, he was just there to do what he was tasked to do. And unfortunately, again, because it was under Xi Jinping's uh, control that he, despite wanting more of a reform-esque uh, opening up economic focus policy, he was not really given any sort of ability to expand on that. And that's that's pretty much where it, it stops. And talk to us about what kind of health issues did Li Keqiang face leading up to his passing? We have been talking about a number of mysterious disappearances in Chinese leadership so far this year, but now a death. Right. No matter how you look at this, everything's pointing fingers at Xi Jinping being the one that did something with this, right? But every CCP official has monthly, if not biweekly, medical checkups to ensure that their medical histories are up to date and they know anything uh, as bad as potential for cardiac uh, or cardi uh, cardiac arrest and things like that. So there's no way they didn't know that he had some pre-existing conditions. But for him to you know go from swimming to suddenly dying. That seems like a very strange thing people are discussing online. And let me just say this, that uh, everything should be known. And so this comes as a surprise to everybody how he could end up suffering from a medical downfall like that. And talk to us about how might Li Keqiang's death actually influence the power balance within the Chinese Communist Party. 
Right, Aaron, that's a really important question. It's one where we already know the answer, which is that uh, no major changes will happen under Xi's total control, uh, his concentration mm -hmm. of power. However, what people are thinking is that this potentially could lead to something like a 1989 June 4th type of protest. We'll have to see how far that goes. But with all the censorship and all the control right now, that might not be happening. Talk to us about the Philippines now, because the world is watching for flashpoints. We've now got the Middle East. Obviously, there's Ukraine and Russia. Um, now the Philippines and China and the United States saying that they will come to aid to assist to defend the Philippines if necessary. What, what do you make of this? I think it's absolutely the correct move to ensure that the Philippines has the right military and moral as well as political support, especially when it comes to the allies from the U.S. and, and such, because it's very important that China is trying to create something in the Pacific to uh, try to uh, distract from its domestic issues. But then at the same time, you wonder why would Xi Jinping do this with so much domestic instability? I think that's precisely why we think that she is doing this. It's because he knows that the further uh, distractions they can create on the international space, the less they have to focus on the domestic. So the more pressure we have to support the Philippines allies, the better it is against China's aggression. All right, David Jang, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you. A Hong Kong court gave China Evergrande Group a five-week reprieve to come up and deal with creditors or face liquidation. The Hong Kong High Court agreed to further adjourn a hearing to wind up Evergrande to December 4 as the Chinese economy continues to struggle. Troubled Chinese property giant Evergrande has been granted one last chance. On Monday, a hearing to wind up the company was adjourned until December 4th. A Hong Kong judge ruled that this was the company's final opportunity to come up with a restructuring plan. If it fails, Evergrande will probably face liquidation. The giant developer has over $300 billion in liabilities and defaulted on its offshore debt in 2021. It's become a symbol of a crisis that has engulfed China's real estate sector, which accounts for about a quarter of the country's economy. That leaves investors around the world worried what might happen if giant companies like Evergrande face a chaotic collapse. Now the court says the developer has to come up with a revised restructuring plan before the December hearing. Its previous plan was thrown into doubt last month after news that the firm's founder was under investigation for criminal activities. Evergrande has also been barred from issuing new debt due to a probe into its flagship property unit. One lawyer for a major group of creditors said they supported the court adjournment, saying they would still prefer a restructuring to liquidation. Evergrande did not respond to a request for comment. Okay, with Russia, Ukraine struggling along, and now the Middle East war, will there be another GFC? This time a global food crisis. Joining us now is Professor Tim Harcourt, host of the Grand Tra Great Transformation right here on Ticker. Great to see you, Tim. Uh, this week, the theme on the Great Transformation is how will we feed the world? And it's becoming a lot more difficult given what's been happening, uh, well, I guess, for now more than a year and a half, nearly coming up to two years in Ukraine, and now we're seeing in the Middle East too. No, that's right, Aaron. We saw, um, of course, Russia-Ukraine a, a huge shock as half of the Ukrainian farmers got off their tractors and picked up rifles. And of course, Ukraine's a major uh, export of cereals, barley, wheat around the world. So in some ways, Australia's had to pick up uh, that shortfall and we've been exporting from everywhere to Nigeria, to Yemen and to uh, in Asia and Indonesia and, and in Northeast Asia. So that's... Uh, been a real uh, a real challenge for the world, and also obviously Australia's had to had to play that 
play that play that important role with Ukraine out of the picture. Just give us an idea, if you can, Tim, about the Russia-Ukraine war, how it's impacted global agriculture, because it sounds like it's not going to affect the world, but actually Ukraine was producing so much grain for the rest of the world. They'd had all sorts of deals in place that due to the war and what was happening in the Black Sea made it really difficult. Russia at times would, of course, give in and say that they would allow some ships through and then Ukraine would mount a challenge and then they'd pull back on that while much of the world was waiting to hopefully eat. No, that's exactly right, Aaron. It's uh, not only the fact that Ukraine and, and Russia are out of action in terms of in terms of grain, and of mm. course Ukraine being the breadbasket of the world, but then um, the the ports in the the Crimea, where a lot of the disruption's been, it's been on again and off again. And uh, you know, ironically, Aaron, you know, we we celebrate Anzac Day, and of course that was about getting uh, supply through the Dardanelles. So again, that's crucial to uh, world world agricultural markets and. Uh, yeah, that, that's been a real issue, and that's the major disruption from the Russia-Ukraine war, and that's even before uh, the events we've seen between Hamas and, and Israel. You'd think in this situation where the world is already struggling to get food on the table and from port to port, China would look at its tariffs uh, and wonder what they're doing. We're seeing some reductions now on wine and wheat and barley, particularly in that relationship, that very fraught relationship that they've had with Australia over the last five years. Is that starting to get any better? Yeah, there's starting to be a, a stabilisation. Uh, in the Great Transformation uh, tomorrow night, I'll be talking to Lyle Howard, who was, of course, Chief of Staff to Andrew Robb, a former Trade Minister in Australia, who, of course, negotiated the, the free trade agreement with China. Um, I think China tried to punish Australia by putting those tariffs on major commodities, but it's just hurt Chinese consumers. And as you saw in your report earlier, there's a lot of pressure now on the Chinese economy, and China probably knows that Putting tariffs on China is, uh, as the famous economist Jane Robson used to say, putting rocks in your own harbour. So I think the reason that uh, Prime Minister Albanese is now going to Beijing is because there is a stabilisation in that relationship, but really disruption caused by China itself and hurting China itself, particularly Chinese consumers. You just heard us talking uh, before to David Jang from China Insider about the situation in the Philippines, obviously the hotly contested South China Sea, also a passageway for a lot of Australian grain and uh, minerals and resources as well through the South China Sea, not to mention other countries as well. Talk to us about the damage that we would see to China, to the global economy, should there be a flashpoint there in the South China Sea? Well, China, by taking this aggressive action, is ultimately isolating itself, and uh, it's not a matter of the US and 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 China. You've seen uh, flashpoints with the Philippines, with Vietnam, uh, with South Korea, and with Japan. So it seems that uh, the Indo-Pacific now needs to be open. It needs to be open to trade and investment, and we really need to minimise some of these flashpoints. And ultimately, I think China is pretty much alone, apart from perhaps North Korea, uh, so uh, disrupting the South China Sea is not good. And to the credit, Philippines as an important ASEAN nation has uh, stood up to the aggression by China and, and so far it's bearing fruit just as Australia standing up to China in terms of trade has now, now China's had to back down. And just quickly, we don't have much time, talk to us about the free trade agreement potentially between Australia and the EU. Will it happen? It sounds like they won't be one for a while. Uh, it's important for the Trade Minister, Don Farrell, to be able to walk away. Um, the view was it wasn't doing enough for Australian farmers and uh, those agricultural subsidies. You can send the 
cows from France uh, around the world twice business class, you know, some of the agricultural protectionism has got to go from Europe to have a have a viable free trade agreement. So it may happen, Aaron, but it, uh, not as soon as we thought. Yeah, well, mate, just uh, having flown for five days to New York in economy and back, uh, might pay to be a cow in business class. We'll leave it there for now and look forward to your show tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah, you never go cattle class, Aaron, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim. All right, after the break, more Ticker Today. Stay with us. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes. 